Welcome to Book Me Podcast, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Lindsay Glode Rainingbird. Join me as we journey through contemporary Canadian literature, reading as much as we can and chatting with authors, illustrators, and other bookish folk, celebrating our dynamic, diverse, and vibrant national literary scene as we go. So grab a snack, get cozy, break that binding, dog ear those pages, let's dig into it. Today, I'm joined by my great friend and personal inspiration, Tara Thorne. She's a musician, filmmaker, arts critic, and self-proclaimed recovering journalist who can now add author and essayist to that list. Her debut book, Low Road Forever, is a love letter to the music, movies, people, and fixations that made a rural Nova Scotian teen the creative, opinionated feminist she is today. The things that formed her, move her, spark joy, piss her off, things that keep her up in the middle of the night, teeming with her signature wit, humor, surprising vulnerability, and a little bit of self-righteous rage. Low Road Forever is everything I could have wanted in a book of personal essays. I absolutely loved it, and I know you will too. Welcome to the podcast, Tara. Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> and by the way, I already know I'm going to cry because I feel safe with you. Do people know we're ex-work wives? No, they don't know anything yet. We just started. <laughs> <laughs> so, full disclosure, Tara and I go way back to the coast. Yeah, and then you left. And so now I have an ex-wife, but not for real, just like an ex-work wife. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's no settlement. I don't pay you anything. Could no you though? <laughs> I wish some, someone needs to pay me. Maybe I should pay you. Yeah. I left. I'll um, pay you. <laughs> okay, let's just get right into this. In your intro, you talk about the snarky persona you've cultivated over the years and the disconnect that that facade has had from the real you. How much of this book is persona and how much is the real you? Oh, it's so much real me. That's why it's really scary. I made a movie this year, too. And the thing about the movie, I don't pretend that the lead is not a stand-in for me. So it's a movie about a lesbian vigilante who beats up abusive hipster men at night, i.e. my fantasy. The dream. Yeah. But you can't do that. But Can't you? No, you can't. Well, you can't it's dangerous. Do that. It's dangerous. Um, but you can make a movie about it. And so, you know, I always find it amusing when people write things based on their lives and it's clearly based on their lives, and they go, but it's fiction. I'm like, okay, but I know you. <laughs> um, and I think there's two reasons they do that. One, because I think there's this um, idea that fiction has to be something you've wholly made up, and, uh, and otherwise it's not artistic enough. So if you're taking it from your own life, you're not as much of an artist. I think that's like a, it's not true, but I think that's what people think. And the other thing is to create distance. It's like, yes, this actually is because no one makes art because it's not personal. I mean, they shouldn't be. So the more the more distance you can put between yourself and the artistic product is protective. So at the movie, I have, you know, we got two hundred thousand dollars, a lot of money in a bag on the ground. Not a lot of money to make a movie, but it's a lot of money and a team of like, I don't know, 25 people. And they made this movie happen. This movie is Compulsive. It's called Compulsive, yeah. Uh, it's, on the, it's on the festival circuit now. Um, and even when I make a record with, with Dance Movie, that's very personal to me, too. I write all the songs. I don't care about the music in a weird way. Like, I'm just trying to get um, thoughts out. However, with this, there's no distance. And my editor, Steph Demet, personal hero, and most of the reason I 
did this, before we like submitted the book, she said, I want you to consider every person you've written about and how they come off and how they're going to perceive it. I'm not saying you need to change anything, but you need to think about it. And I wish someone had said that to me. This is what she said. Like, I wish someone had said that to me before I wrote my my first book. And I said, okay. And I there are things in there that I considered taking out because they were too personal or because it was about someone else. And like someone lives in your life with you. They don't ask to be in a book later. Everything is copy. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Nora everyone. <laughs> um, and I didn't take anything out because I thought, well, then it's not authentic. And then what's the point? Like, I can write you my little movie and music essays, but the stuff that's personal is ultimately the reason that people are going to connect to you as a, as a person. So the internet persona, the thing that got me fired from CBC. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is remains separate, but is, but is not, is not this. And that's why I uh, feel like shit and can't sleep. And I'm sitting here, we're here on publication day. and Happy I'm, publication day. My nerves are racked. Because it was not an easy book for you to write. It Tell was me not. About that. Oh my God. I tried so hard not to write it. This was supposed to come out in March. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> Ever the procrastinator. I was so behind. And I was editing the movie too. I was in post-production on the film and I thought... For sure, I can do post-production on my first feature and write my first book at the same time. Why wouldn't I? No, you can't do that. So we're like a season, two seasons later, I guess a full book season later than... Well, you can say that, but you write in your book that you were doing other things too. Did you not do like yeah. two screenplays? I wrote two scripts. <laughs> so you could write Instead and do the, the movie book. at the same time. Yeah, yeah someone just... asked me recently, they're like... Um, do you have a writing uh, schedule because you're really fast? I'm like, no, it's like because I had something else to do that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. But so I, I do feel at least positive that 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 energy went into other work instead of just being like staring at the ceiling, which is a, also happens a lot. And you need that deadline because the best work is the night before. It's true. So the book, I knew it would be difficult and I didn't want to do it. And it's a very lonely thing. It's all like all writing is lonely, but if you're writing a movie, you at least, in my case, have actors in mind. Like you can hear other voices. Other voices are touching it, whether you're they're in the room with you or not. But this is just you creating content out of your dumb brain and hoping for the best. And I remember one day I would just like be like, okay, we're gonna this is gonna be our writing schedule. We're gonna do this, and I'll just go for a walk. I remember one day like basically screaming at myself, only you can end this. There is no way out. It's through. That's it. You have to do it. There's no way around it. No one's going to save you. No one's going to write it for you. You have to do it. So I don't know why you're putting yourself through this. This book is just so fully formed and perfect. I've known you for years, and I was surprised by some of the things that I read. Well, that's good. Surprised in a really good way, but surprised in a how vulnerable and how willing to talk about things that I've never heard you speak about in my life. It just made me feel really close to you and proud of you. And just like, I just know everybody who reads this book is going to love it. Well, that's nice. I mean, I kind of, so when we had like the meeting about the book, it was a lot more specific to Halifax and like the scene here. And it was just very local. And I was like, "Mm, I, if you're not from here, why would you care to read what I have to say? I want it to be broad. I want it to be about pop culture. And then the things that are specific to me, they're like threaded into to larger, to larger subjects. Any writer who's writing a book of essays 
those essays need to touch people who aren't who don't know them, who aren't mm-hmm. local, who don't mm-hmm. know your story. And I think that your book does that really, really well. You have pop culture part of the book and then you have your personal mu- music part of the book and then more local sort of things that have happened, rage inducing events that but going to the pop culture side because there's so much you could talk about you and I would just talk about it for hours yeah how did you narrow it down I just sort of went to my old dependables like um A League of Their Own and Thelma Louise those are my two of my favorite movies of all time uh Tori Amos and Alanis Morissette those are my like bedrock artists like no matter what they do I'll always listen do I listen to them every day no but they like they're they were formative uh Jodie Foster formative um, was a fan and I didn't really know why for a long time, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I think it was sort of like, what did I have the most to say about? Because I have a lot of opinion on, all, on, on a lot of opinions on all kinds of pop culture, but it's like, what do you have, you know, one to two thousand words to talk about, which isn't everything. Amy Sherman Palladino was actually one of the one of the late ones in 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 the uh, collection, but but Mrs. Maisel, I think, was on at the time, and I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Like, there's so much to love about her shows and so much that's problematic. She's the creator of Gilmore Girls. Bunheads. Bunheads. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I I kind of want to do that, read that essay, but, like, as a TED Talk with <laughs> some photographic evidence <laughs> and clips through. and stuff. Yeah, the terrible fun. men she loves. Yeah, Why it's like they these all, all the heroines look the same. Mm-hmm. There are no gay people in these towns. Not overtly. No. Yeah, so it's just sort of stuff that, that I loved and that has stuck with me to have a deep opinion on it. Really um, kind of old school, thorny, thorny thumbs ups that I wrote about. So have you watched <laughs> the, the new League of Your Own then? Yes. Do you approve? I do approve. And I did not mention it. It, so that was in development when I was writing mm-hmm. about the movie, uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was worried about it because there have been no good reboots. R.I.P. Gilmore Girls. You and I have talked about <laughs> okay. that at great length. Um, we don't have to hate on Gilmore Girls, though, because I'm just happy it existed. I don't care. The reboot? No. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like the reboot tainted the show <laughs> retroactively. I mean, maybe slightly, but... It was so bad. You know me. I cannot let go of things. So. I can't either, but I'm just so like, it I'm didn't there. have to happen. I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I'm on season 17, and I will be there till, till she Meredith dies goes of old under. age. Yeah. Till she dies of old age, because she's never going to leave the show either. She finally but, got her payday. Yeah, but, well, she's a producer. She's made, she's made money hand over fist. Don't worry about old Ellen Pompeo. Um, <laughs> I worry about her a little she, bit. <laughs> Some of the things she says online, I worry oh, about yeah. her. She, she's fine. Um, but yeah, they give her on the TV show. So the one thing I wasn't worried about was that Abby Jacobson was the creator. Uh, Love Broad City, obviously, and I just felt good about it. She had come out as bisexual, mm-hmm. and I knew the show would be gay. Um, and everybody she assembled was like a cool alt-comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nick Offerman was playing the Jim, Jimmy Dugan part, which turned out to be kind of much ado about nothing, which was interesting. Yeah, I was just kind of a little it was. It was good. They just got rid of him. It was smart. You're like, actually, because, you know. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They got rid of him? Okay. He's not dead. He just, like, leaves. Mm -hmm. He's only in a few episodes. And I was like, oh, that's why you weren't promoting him at all. They make it about the women. And I was talking to my friend Rebecca in my band, who also loves The League of Their Own. And she's like, it actually made me mad at the movie for not being gayer. Yeah. And I I was like, but it was 1991, and two Mm -hmm. men wrote it. And a straight woman directed it. And you talk about that in the book. Yeah. That... Rosie O'Donnell then later says, "Yeah, that she she gay. was playing it gay, but, but she was like, closeted at the time. She was, and like you can't 
tell. Like, oh, you ripped up a picture of a man? That just says to me, I'm a feminist. It doesn't say I'm a, la- I'm a lover of ladies. I mean, and you could argue everything she played was played gay. Yeah. Because yeah. how could you not? Yeah. They're rosy. That's just part of you. <laughs> but also, one of the people who were actually in the baseball team who League of the Own is based on, mm-hmm. one of the actual baseball players came out, finally. And she's, what, like 70? 90. Not, oh. They're going to kill that old lesbian. <laughs> they are. Maybelle Blair, her name is. And they've been trotting her out at all the events. I'm like, I don't think she should be traveling this much. <laughs> anyway, congrats, Maybelle. But, yes, yeah, so, anyway, <laughs> that was a little bit of a tangent. So, coming back to the book, and working with Stephanie Domet was... Oh, incredible. I mean, Steph was my first editor at the Coast when I was 20 years old. So here I was at like 41 or whatever, with her still being my editor and still being really tough, but really supportive and encouraging. And uh, as I said off the top, um, she was it was half the reason I said yes, because when I got the email, so it came in the wake of getting fired and um, it said it said like Nimbus. And then you can see like the first line in Gmail and it said something like, would you be interested in it? And I was like. Editing a book? No. That's what I thought it was. Her just like trying to throw me some work like to make up for my giant income loss. And, and then I opened it and I was like, oh, actually, yeah. I could do this. Yeah. Far with from her now. In, with her involved. <laughs> yes. Okay. So paint the picture. Mm-hmm. It's 2020. Yeah. You've just sitting there making was, a joke. Yeah. So it was August. It was hot. Okay. It was hot. I was working um, from home and um, the premier, you know, they were doing those daily COVID briefings, the premier mm-hmm. and Dr. Strang, and he announced that he was quitting. Like his term was going to be up, but he was he was exiting. And one of the tweets said that one of the reasons he was quitting was because it was hard for his family to read all the negative things about him. And his son used to be my downstairs neighbor. So I... I've had a succession of single <laughs> single lady downstairs neighbors. I'm the single lady upstairs neighbor. Um, so so this was her boyfriend, and he had moved in. And um, she wrote a tweet, and I wrote it, retweeted poor Natasha Pace, who's a reporter. <laughs> I retweeted her tweet and said it was hard for me to listen to his son bang my downstairs neighbor. Yeah, that was hard. The that same was the way hard part. every night. Life is hard. That's what I said, and so I did it, and I. I did kind of go, is this too much? <laughs> and someone from CBC in a different province called me and was like, I just want you to know how funny. Like, I love your tweet. And I was like, do you think if I got fired, we could say it's heat stroke? <laughs> like, Can I, I get a doctor's note? <laughs> yeah, like, I, like something in me knew. That was a Thursday at noon. By Friday morning, it had gotten traction from uh, a liberal toady, who I will not name because I will not give him the press, on Facebook. And so all of these people who, with brand new Twitter accounts, they were like bombarding CBC to fire me. But I didn't know that. I had a meeting at 10 a.m. And when I got home at like noon, I had an email from the acting producer. Like, by the way, when people go on vacation in the summer and you're filling in for them, you're not supposed to deal with problems. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I feel bad. I still feel bad about that. But he emailed me and said, we got a call about your tweet. This lady said, blah, blah, blah. Can you take like, can you take it down? He asked in a very gingerly, in a ginger way because he, there was no policy. They don't own me. Yeah. Yeah. So I called him because I was instantly mad. 
if that he asked at all. And I called him and I was like a bit defensive. And he's like, yeah, well, we've gotten another call. And this lady said, I don't want Tara Thorne to get fired, but. And I was like, no one makes a call and says, I don't want this, but they want it. Like, like that is what you who want. Who makes calls anyway? Yeah. At the end of that phone call, the producer said, Ken, who is the guy who runs the station, Ken's looking into the freelancer code of conduct. And then by the end of the day, I was talking to someone in Montreal who had never heard of me and was very mad at me. And then uh, they left me hanging all weekend and they fired me on Monday afternoon. And I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, but it's in the book. <laughs> it is in the book. But I will say that um, that was a horrible week, obviously. Um, I made a record that week. It was already booked. So I was happy to have that to do. But the other thing that happened was because it was so public, people were like, oh, she's going to die. They threw work at me. And then, you know, I got this book, I got my own podcast, and the movie had already been funded, and they announced it a week after I got fired. So I actually, it it, it was actually the best thing to have ever happened to me, um, which feels like a shitty thing to say because I really love the job, and I really love the people, and I love working there. Um, and I would have done it until I aged out. But, but yeah, apparently uh, I needed to go. I'm, I, I would not have chosen that exit. I mean, who would? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, but, I don't sit here and go, my tweet was like, my tweet was on the up and up, and I'm glad I did it. Like, no. So do you have any advice for people who are now in the position that you felt you were? Things were stale, not going anywhere. You were stuck. No, because I wouldn't take life advice from me. I, I have never I made would. good money. I currently don't have a job and I'm panicking every day of my life <laughs> um, because the podcast is now over, too. So everything that started is now ended. But um, the weird thing is, I will say taking a risk or being pushed to take a risk has always paid off. But I wouldn't say that with a face. Though. I know I do because like I wouldn't actively choose it because I'm in this period right now. Like I literally don't have a steady income like nothing i'm literally like i think i'll get a seasonal mall job i think i'd like that i want to work at hickory farms i love cheese <laughs> i could sell that i think so i feel like we've talked about hickory yeah. farms before yeah. um so i don't feel positive but everyone says well it always works out and it's like yeah i haven't died yet it mm -hmm. does work out but so the, the in-between period is very stressful we need you to buy this book <laughs> she <laughs> she literally needs you to buy this book i'm just joking. <laughs> I do also think now I'd probably be more willing, I hope this is true, and not just me talking on a podcast, <laughs> just more willing to like go after what I want and say what I want and tell people how I feel and all that stuff. So I think you could do that. And Advice you're in wise. your 40s now. Yeah. This is the time. Yeah. New era of Tara. <laughs> I like that. That should be in your book. Reprint. How did working for an alt-weekly sort of shape your voice, your writing voice? It shaped everything. People loved to hate the Coast people. We know this. We were hated. Um, but they also loved to love them. Like, you could you could craft a persona around being an alt-weekly writer, which is like, if you told a TikToker that today, they'd be like, what are these words? Alt-weekly writer? Alt-weeklies are now dead. It's a huge loss. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the culture. It's going to hurt people locally. People are going to have a harder time getting their, their shit out there. Thank God for power poles and posters, I guess. Like, I don't know how people find out about stuff anymore. The, my favorite thing to do is to put a local person on the cover and be like, this person's awesome. Here's 2,000 words about how awesome they are and, like, a magazine-quality photo shoot. All that is lost, and I think that's really sad. Um, so, yeah, it, it shaped everything, and it certainly shaped the the persona of, of being snarky. Um because that's the kind of 
that's the alt weekly voice and that's not really there anymore either because mm-hmm. advertising became so important that you had to dial all that back like love the uh, the best of halifax used to also have a worst of halifax in the which old is what days. you want to yeah. yeah you want to read that yeah um so um so yeah it, it it it's it's been fundamental and all of the whatever happened uh personally um at the paper is neither here nor there it's in the book it's in the book but it's like separate from the work and it's mm-hmm. separate from the person that it made me into and like whatever um negativity i hold toward the coast um it made me the person i am and i'm forever grateful to have had to have had that chance and everything that i have in my life now is because i was there you know you specifically say in the book that you don't read that's right <laughs> you used to read though so when's the last time you read a book that actually meant something to you? What was that book? I'm reading a book right now, what? believe it or not. It's called Spike, Mike, Slackers and Dykes. And it's by John Pearson, who is like a key figure in 90s film distribution. Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> I know you're thinking it. <laughs> but like Spike is Spike Lee. Mike is Michael Moore. Slackers is Richard Linklater, who's my filmmaking hero and dykes is um, rose trochet who made a film called go fish so it was like it was just this very it was like the hallmark of 90s independent cinema which i would love to be a part of and i unfortunately have missed the boat on um, by 20 years um i was also in high school in my defense <laughs> sliding doors <laughs> yeah very sliding doors so yeah i'm reading about it and like as someone with a movie uh on the festival circuit and i'm frustrated with where it is and where it hasn't gone i'm just like i'm i'm like devouring this book because he was doing all these things now granted there were studios and millions of dollars involved in some instances but you know he's got all his like deal memos and all his little negotiations and he talks about being at sundance and all the offers on the table so it's meaning a lot to me just like where i am in my life with an actual movie on the festival circuit which is a very rarefied uh situation and then the last book i read before that um it's called monoculture by sue goyette it's her new collection of poetry about trees um, and I mean, Sue wrote the poems in Compulsive. She's like one of the best writers and people I've ever met in my life. And to reading her poetry feels like a, like a gift you don't deserve or something like, like how, did, how am I allowed to look at this? Like this should be for VIPs only. <laughs> and, and that uh, it's, they're putting it out on November 3rd at the bus stop. And, um, it, and it's a Gaspro book. So, you know, it's nice. They have those covers that are so nice pretty. to touch. Yeah. Uh, it, it really made me think, I was like, this is a whole book about trees? How? And it, but it works. It works. It's amazing. It's like every thought you've ever had a tree is in this is in monoculture. I'd be curious to hear that pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she wrote the poems in Compulsus. She did. How did that go? Where you just like do whatever you want? Kind of. I gave her the script. Well, okay. So the story is, we were at Steph Demet's house actually for a Christmas party, and I had been at the back of the house, and I was leaving, and Sue was at the front of the house, and I was drunk, and I was like, oh my god, Sue. <laughs> And I was writing the movie. I was in a workshop, and I was writing the movie, and I had to finish it by January 4th. So this was just before Christmas. And I hugged her, and I was like, okay, I read this movie, and the protagonist is a poet, and I need your help. And she said, okay. And I think she thought I was just going to, like, use her as a consultant. <laughs> You're like, okay, when can I see those poems? Yeah. So I was like, so I had these earmarks. There's, like, a poem that opens the movie, there's a poem in the middle, and there's one that ends it. And I had them just, like, spaces late like left in the script and so I gave her the script and she said yes 
And then, yeah, she just, we had one coffee and she, um, she just asked me a bunch of questions about Wally, who's the lead character, like about her background, which I'd never thought of. And she said, don't think about it, just answer. And so, you know, she just wanted to know, like, um, you know, what things in her life would make, make her choose certain words or have certain mm-hmm. thoughts. And it's like really amazing. And people, people, A, try to credit me and I like, like I'm constantly dispelling the idea that I wrote the poems, even though Sue has a card like in the credits. Yeah. Like I it's saw huge. that. I was like, Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's um, why they were so good. That's right. I mean, I could have done it. They would not have been as good, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, she didn't have to say yes. And I'm just so grateful she did. And we did pay her by the way. It wasn't just like, I didn't want to ask. Give me some poems. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> After all this talk about needing to pay for words, Tara Thorne's <laughs> over here asking for free poetry. <laughs> just joking. She paid. We did. All right. So you have an excerpt to read for us. Introduce your excerpt. Okay. It's called Lunks I Love for Real because, you know, I, I am not a fan of men in general. But there's a certain type of man. There's a handful of movie stars that I just really love and I'll go see anything they're in. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because that's too many. Um, I'm just going to read you like two pages. Okay, some of the lungs she just loves. one. There's an intro. And then one. I'll just read one. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Well, no, I'll do two because I just rewatched Girls, and Adam Driver's one of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> America has a lot of problems, and one of the biggest ones going unaddressed, in my opinion, is that there are no good male movie stars. This is partly because, as previously mentioned, the Hollywood star system has collapsed in favor of franchises. The A-list men of 1985 to 2010, Brad Pitt, Will Smith and Tom Cruise, are of course still working and remain big stars to an undiscerning middle America. Michael Keaton, Michael Douglas, and Kevin Costner have been largely relegated to minor comic book movie parts. George Clooney mostly directs bland features we stopped getting excited about. They're all still kicking around. Those franchises do need a lot of people to be in them, and most of those people happen to be generic and boring, which is just a statistics issue. Everyone can't be Florence Pugh or Gal Gadot. Four of the men in the most popular franchises are, actually, blondes named Chris. There's Evans, high school football coach, Pratt, church dork, Pine, hot dad with no kids, and Hemsworth, Australian, the best one. Each of them has a stake in the Marvel Universe, except for Pine, a DC guy who also led the Star Trek movies reboot. They're all fine, that is to say, toned and serviceable and unremarkable. I don't go to the movies for men anyway, but it may surprise you to learn that there are a few I love, a few shining stars that rise above the porridge of superheroes and spaceships to be beacons of surprise, humor, and charm. And they're not the skinny, hot yoga man bun types you'd probably expect me to be into considering the rest of my life. Every last one of them is a jacked-up, greased-out, core-blasting lunk. Definition. A tall, brawny man, especially a sexually attractive one. Less kind definition, a stupid man. These are my favorite lunks. One, Zac Efron. Zac Efron is a star in the golden Hollywood era model, a triple threat who can act, sing, and dance. Zac Efron is Fred Astaire. He's Clark Gable. He's Cary Grant. I am not kidding. First of all, he's absolutely beautiful. Second of all, he came out of the Disney television system, which is famously rigid and not geared towards, shall we say, a nuanced performance style. See him execute a beautiful song and dance duet with fellow Disney alum Zendaya in The Greatest Showman. 
Apparently, he also came out of it with a drug problem, which he has recovered from and put that energy into intense self-improvement. He's better funny than dramatic, but he can do it all. I will see any and all Zac Efron performances. Favorite Zac movie, the comedy Neighbors, in which he plays the king of the frat boys at war with young parents. Two, Adam Driver. Driver, like Mark Ruffalo before him, comes from indie roots. And like Ruffalo after him, he pivoted into a huge studio franchise. I hate that. But I love Adam Driver, a giant ex-Navy man who was once the subject of a New York Magazine story about a play he was in headlined, How Big Is Adam Driver in Burn This? Driver became next tier famous because of Star Wars, which I will not be addressing, but he got that part because of his seven, six seasons on Girls. That's a typo that I put in this book. It's actually six. Since we can't let Lena Dunham have anything, I will be the one to thank her. When he arrived in the first season, he hadn't grown into his face yet. He was just this weird topless man who very much sucked. Over the years, he became one of the show's key draws, using his physicality, bizarre in a good way, acting choices, and theater-honed skills to create a deep, multidimensional portrait of a former fuckboy. He supplements Star Wars and Burberry ads with weird indies and prestige studio pictures of all stripes, and even when it doesn't work, talking to you, House of Gucci, it's always interesting. Favorite Adam movie, Patterson. The Least Lunkiest, A Quiet Jim Jarmusch Character Study About a Bus Driver Who Writes Poetry. Snaps. <laughs> okay, but no, my favorite Zac Efron movie is the one where he switches places because I love a switcheroo. 17 again? Yeah, 17 oh my again. God. Oh my With Matthew God. Perry. Matthew, Matthew Perry. Perry wishes. He just, uh, he just did a book too, Matthew Perry. Yeah, he did. I'm curious to know what the big thing is. That what, it's just, just drug issues? Yeah, I think it was oh. drugs. Um, Just say that on the cover, Matt. Yeah, we know. We already know. <laughs> we already know. And poor Zach, st- stuff has happened to him. Messed his up face. his face. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that story? Um, a little, maybe. I don't know why he would get plastic surgery otherwise. I don't think so. I think something health-wise is going on with a lot of people. But can I tell you a theory? Mm-hmm. Yes. That maybe we can come back to this if it turns out to be true. All of these people that are doing superhero movies are fully doing steroids. Yes, 100%. and we're not talking about mm-hmm. it. And it's going to make them very ill later in life. Like, I feel like there'll be a swath of these Marvel people that all get sick and die. And they don't stay in shape like that forever. No, it's, you it's can't. It's the on and off and on and off, yeah. which is not good for your health, too. But Zach Efron and who was it who there was another superhero guy, one of the Chris's maybe, who just talked about how unhealthy it is yeah. to stay in shape and like how messed up it is that. I think it's cool that we're finally talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like we're always like, oh, look at these abs, but now it's like, no, this is actually killing me. I don't this know why healthy. they would do it. Like they have special effects. There's so many special effects. They have CGI a suit built it into the suit. You don't need this. Like I remember Ben Affleck nearly killed himself for Batman. He had one topless scene. I'm like, was that worth it? I don't think so. I don't th- and who who is this for? Because yeah. I like don't need it. Kamal Nanjiani. What happened I think it's there? just for other Bad. men. The yeah, men are like, hey, yes. these are abs. Yeah. Women love this. We're like, mm. I, I always go, was this worth it? Was this movie worth it? The movies are almost always bad. So I don't think so. But. Okay, favorite Adam Driver movie for oh, yes. me was Marriage Story, I think. Is oh, that what it's called? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a tough one, though. It is tough. It's hard to like. 
I mean, I'm very excited about he's this. Horrible, but, yeah, he's horrible. But he does I, such a good job. I'm excited about this Don DeLillo movie that's coming out. Which Greta, is this one? It's called White Noise. And Greta Gerwig plays his wife. The book. Greta's, Greta's, White Noise, the book. Yeah, Greta's coming book. out of acting retirement. She retired? Well, kind of. But she's been, she made Little Women and she made mm-hmm. Lady Bird. She's been directing. She's been directing, but, but she's going to her act. partner, Noah Baumbach, uh, directed this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God love the partners. <laughs> Right? I know. Amy Sherman Palladino, did we talk about that? No, Ugh. we don't. We can't talk about anything else. We're done. We're done. This okay. was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't cry. I really planned to. All right. Listen, I'm would. just going to punch her until she cries. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Low Road Forever by Tara Thorne. Available now, today, yep. everywhere books are sold. So please buy it. Please. Please. <laughs> please buy it. Thank you for listening and hanging out with us. Join me next time on this book lover's journey as we try to read more, read Canadian, read local. You know, all the good things. <laughs>